Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside in the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, hunting camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, hey guys, welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm uh, sitting in the car with Ben McCulloch. We're just coming back from a bit of a scout and a bit of new country, so I've got to try and drive and talk at the same time, so this will be interesting. Anyway, uh, how are you, Ben? Yeah, going good, mate. Oh, watch them roos. Just um, yeah, watch the road and we'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I was lucky enough to pick up a bit of new country uh, from a client of mine through work, so we just uh, went out a bit of a look and um, had to drop some gear off to Ben after our trip a few weeks ago. So thought killed two birds one stone. So and um, yeah, we've seen a few pigs and a couple of red hinds, which is always a good start. So a fellow, oh, and a fellow, yeah, yeah, so good. It shows so. a bit of promise. Yeah, so we'll certainly be fishing in that country a little bit more over the coming months before next year's rut. So. Yeah, yeah, and we've hunted around that area before, so not on that particular place, but um, that same range and always found some good deer and boars before, so you're in the right area, I think. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll make the most of it anyway. It's, yeah. I think you try and take any country we can, so. But, um, no, we, um, obviously we, we had a really good trip overseas and uh, obviously wanted to get a Ben to share a little bit about his trip and, and obviously a bit of background and... I know he's, uh, he's familiar in the magazines from a few years ago and things like that, so, mate, um, tell us a little bit of how you got into bow hunting, how old you were, all those kind of wonderful things. Yeah, right, I, well, I, got a, I suppose I was always into hunting in general. Um, Dad used to be a fox shooter and he sort of took us under his wing um, and started hunting from, well, from an early age, as early as I can ever remember. It's all but always been, you know what I've been into so I can't remember a point getting into it but just something I've always done um, and then I found the bow my youngest brother Adam um, actually one of his mates him and Ben Doyle got some bows and brought them home and we started playing around with them I think I was about 15 then yeah and um, ever since then we've sort of taken off and Brad Smith was in town so got a few of his DVDs and pretty much annoyed him for you know, the next few years. Still annoying. Yeah, pretty much still now. So <laughs> um, that's how we got into bow hunting and, you know, struggled away and just worked our way up till till now. I suppose that was 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah, you sort of, and I mean, over that time, you've taken it kind of different levels as well. You've shot, you know, you've shot a lot of 3D. You've shot competition over in the States as well. And uh, you won a few comps and those kind of things. So that's that's certainly... Yeah, your passion's certainly there for, for, for archery in general, not just hunting. Yeah, I, I found I it started off hunting and then I just enjoyed the technical side of it, I suppose, like trying to figure out how to do everything myself, um, tune a bow properly, and just it's an always never-ending um, never journey just trying to shoot the best you can. Um, I, I sort of spend a lot of time trying to get that nailed down to a... You know, shoot as well as I can to help with the hunting in the field, and and just do a few target competitions here and there, just to 
put myself under a little bit more pressure, I suppose, and <laughs> a bit of a gauge on how you're shooting. Yeah, definitely. It's um, for anyone that doesn't know Ben, it's it is actually his archery is definitely his life. Um, you know, apart from his wife and his his little man, um, I don't think anything even comes close to it. I don't think so. Um, he's he's a great man to to have, <laughs> you know, work on your bow and those kind of things. He's he's not happy until it's perfect, sort of thing. I think. Half the time, it's the shooter that lets it down, so it must be frustrating for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's where you've got to spend all my time working on the shooter. I think the yep. bow's pretty good after, you know, you can get it shooting good in a couple of hours, but that's just the shooter after that. So. <laughs> yeah, we've had many of hours of frustration with my yeah. form. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. mate, um, obviously, oh, there's an owl. Yeah. He's safe, just so everyone knows. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, you've been, uh, you know, fortunate enough, and I know you, you know, you're very, you know, proud of what you, you know, what you've accomplished so far in the in the hunting world. But um, you know, you've travelled around, but you know, you've also kept your home ground, you know, close to you, and you still hit that regularly. What, what sort of your your favourite hunt at the moment? What, um, you know, because you've got a, a pretty good resume, but um, what do you enjoy most? Most. Um Geez, that's a tough question. Um, it seems to change as the season goes along, yep. depending on what I'm hunting. But um, probably, there's a toss-up between. Uh, I'd love anything in the mountains, really. That would probably be the the top, whether it's mountain boars or um, stags, bull elk, um, all that sort of style of hunt. I think I sort of do or enjoy the most. Yep. Um, just somewhere where, you know, I like glassing a lot of country, trying to find the animal that I want to hunt and then just hunting that, try to work that one particular animal out. So uh, that's sort of where I'm at with the hunting side of it and the hunts I enjoy most at this stage of my life. Yeah, you are, you, you just touched on it a little bit then, but you said, you know, and obviously with myself hunting with you all the time as well, but, you know, you are a glasser, you love using the binos, you, your binos sort of do... A lot of your leg work, although you're not you're not afraid of a mountain. Um, what sort of you know have you always been like that, or is that you know is that just sort of come to you in the last couple of years, or you know how how does that come about? Uh, well, I actually probably picked that tip up off um, Brad Smith. Actually, we did a hunt with Brad years ago, and he sort of you know we we watched what he was doing, and that's how he was finding a lot of his good balls they were shooting and things like that, and. It all made sense to me that if you could limit the amount of scent you put on the ground and just watch everything from afar, learn the habits and find the animal you're after, you could you could be low impact and a lot of that big big stuff doesn't like human scent. So uh, you know that's that's the line of thought that we took with it. Yeah. So I just get on top of a big mountain usually where I can. I mean. You know, you can't do it out in the flat country and, and some areas are too heavily timbered, so you just got to, you know, work on a different strategy there. might be whether it's water holes or just um, still hunting through the thick timber. So. Yep. But that's sort of, yeah, I suppose most of our country we hunt, we sort of use that tactic the most. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's... It, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I hardly even set, used a set of binos before. You know, I started with hunting with yourself, I don't know, five, six years ago or whatever it is now, but... Um, you know, I think that's probably a most important bit of kit. And, you know, we're only growing that more now. You know, we're starting to... I know you, you purchased a set of, you know, 15 by 56 
Swarovski's was that this year, last year? Um, I think it was last last year, about eighteen months ago. Anyway, yeah, I think I had them. So they are dead set. The best thing I think that any bow hunter that's sort of chasing, you know, I guess you know, chasing trophies, sort of thing that I think you could get because like they're, they're just next level. Yeah, once you've gone to the fifteens, it's hard to um, you know go back to just a standard ten power binoculars. But I have the ten powers around my neck. Um, and I always used to use a spotting scope for years, just close one eye and glassing. And I, f- I figured that I was, well, I found out after lunchtime on a lot of these hunts, I'd just get a hell of a headache and finally worked it out that it was just due to looking through one with one eye and straining. It ended up, you know, get, getting a headache after yep. that. So I went to the 15s and haven't looked back. You can glass with two eyes open, cover a lot of country, and I find that it's enough zoom that I can you know see as much detail as I want yep. within you know probably out to three or four kilometers away yeah and you really can pick country apart like I'm, I remember being on a hill there one day when I was the first time you brought them out with me and you know we're looking at country that we've hunted I don't know how many times and you know just with the tens and like we'll find things that I didn't even know existed in there like there was rocks and little canyons and yeah, gullies and we'll find them pigs under trees like it was crazy yeah with them on the tripod everything's just so still so as soon as anything moves in your view you you pick it up like it's amazing how how much finer detail you can pick up with those binoculars on a tripod whether it's a hare or something hopping around the hillside at a kilometre or you know, a bird picking around on the ground you just notice it straight away because you're, you're not moving you're not shaking with them so you know that tripod is a big, big tip, and even with ten power binoculars, I as, as soon as I sit down a glass country, I just sit the tens usually on top of the tripod, pick it apart, and then I'll put the fifteens up and start glassing finer, finer details yep. and further with those. So you're just trying to pick something up with the tens quickly, so you know you're obviously catching that you know, first bit of light or something. You got to give it a quick scan, and then if you sort of you don't sort of pick something up, you grab the 15s and then really picking it apart. Yeah, that's yeah, just the wider field of view in the tens. You you just get a quick scan of a lot of country, I suppose, more of the country, and then you know you pick up your basic, your first few mobs of pigs or mobs of deer with those, um, and then if there's something you want to look at, if you pick something out that catches your eye, then you want to look at it straight away. I put the 15s on, assess it quickly. Um, while they're still out of feeding and then if not I just start picking the country apart with the 15s usually then yep yep you sort of um, you know going back to sort of different hunts of you know especially within Australia you've kind of you've done a fair bit is there anything you haven't done yeah I've still got still a lot that I haven't done um, I have shot four of the six deer species so hog hog deer and samba deer are probably top on the list to try to hunt those over the next few years. Um, I would like to get a water buffalo. I've done a hunt with my brother and we we both shot a bentang bull and he shot a water buffalo. Um, I didn't get a shot at one that trip so I'd definitely love to head back up north and hunt uh, water buffalo. Yep. And yep, just as much um, much of the local stuff as we can. Red deer, boars, fallow deer. Yep. You know, the chittle again. I'd love to do a bit more of that. So pretty much everything. Yeah, I don't think you can ever ever do enough. Yep. There's always something bigger or yeah. a different spot you want to hunt. You're very similar to me. I mean, we 
I guess we love the you know camaraderie of camp and those kind of things, the, the little bit of adventure. So um, I find that you know everything we seem to do, we we seem to be getting a bit of a laugh and a bit of a good time, even if it's just a couple of days in the hills chasing the, the local stuff. That's right. Yeah, I think it's there's certain hunts that you do as more of a you know get the mates together and and have a good time. Um, just as much like you know fox whistling's great like that you get a few boys there and, and whistle foxes it's always a good catch up with some good mates that were all sort of spread out over the countryside now and, and a good laugh but I haven't done that for a couple of years now so I'd like to do a little bit more of that I suppose. Yeah well I mean life's been a bit hectic for yeah, that's right. yeah, moving houses moving towns and all this kind of stuff for you and trying to work and a, and a baby in between all that it's, um, <laughs> it's sort of you know, it takes yeah. up a lot of time, as, as a yeah. lot of guys know. Yeah, it sure does. The last 12 months it's flown by and felt like I only got half the things done that I wanted to, so... Yeah, as much as we kept saying earlier this year that, you know, we're going to get a few trips in, we're going to get a few trips in, we're going we're gonna to have a look at that paddock. I think we still only got out for one hunt in the hills. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, one one full weekend, I think, and we've yep. done a few few half-day hunt, half hunts and day hunts here and there but yeah just throw it in where we can yeah it was definitely it was probably the slowest year that i've had in the last oh, 15 or 20 years of hunting wise actually yep yeah but but it was all good yeah i had my first first baby a, a little boy um with my wife Ange, so that was the the highlight of the year i think so definitely he's grown fast too that's we're right, just, yeah. we're setting back to him now so yeah he would be jumping for joy when you get home so yeah, I hope he might be asleep if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Is that more so you can get sleep? Yeah, that's yeah. it. No, he's going good. <laughs> no, he's a champion. Mate, um, obviously, you know, a lot of that, you're saving up time for our, for our big trip. We, um, As everyone knows, we, we head to the States. And, um, you know, if anyone follows us on the on the Instagram trail, um, you shot an absolute howl of a, of a bull elk. Um, before we sort of jump into that story, if you're... Sort of, sort of let everyone know, you know, when you got into it, how you found the, found the passion for 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 getting over the states, and you know, how did how did all that come about? Yeah, I'd always read a lot of stories, and you know, heard a lot of guys, you know, watched the DVDs and stuff on elk hunting, so that lit the fire. Always something I wanted to do. Um, me and a good mate, Robbie Austin, started were working together actually back in 2011 and started toying with the idea of elk hunts and where to go and between the two of us we'd done a lot of research and called a few guys and anyway ended up settling on a hunt in Montana for 10 days uh, at the end of September so we done that hunt and uh, we both both got bulls on that trip and had a hell of a time and from there on realised that you know got realised that something we wanted to do as much as we could um, throughout our life so you know one way to make that happen was to put in for the points or the applications to um, you know try to draw some of these public land hunts over the years and it well the first public land hunt I drew was in New Mexico this year so I went back and um, you know hunted that with the guys Sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> That's all right. No, you, so you, you started Montana. Started at Montana and, and then started building my points, I yep, suppose, from but there. You've, um, how many hunts have you done? So you did your first hunt in Montana. You, you shot an absolute howling big old bull there, the, f- the very first trip. So that obviously lit a big fire. Yeah, I should um, have. 
But you went back a couple other times. Yeah, we did. Um, with the same outfitter, we had a, a great trip there. Made some good friends, and you know, ended up going back there two years after that. So it'd been three years total in Montana. Yeah. So we went thirteen and fourteen, didn't we? Yeah, we yeah, did. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we went thirteen, fourteen, and within you know, while that was passing, I was just accruing points for different states. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to build up points all over the place for yeah. elk and deer, and you know, hopefully it all pays off in the next. 15, 20 years if I can draw a few of these better units and yep. uh, hunt there as much as I can. Definitely. It, um, going back to, you know, you, you shot your, your big bull in 2011. Um, 2013, 2014, you know, you what they call ate your tag. You didn't you didn't harvest. Um, we just obviously just did the uh, podcast with Brad Murphy there um, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we're sort of talking about you know how you go about a trip and still enjoy it without harvesting and those kind of things you know we're obviously going over there to try and find the you know most well, one of the most mature bulls in the area that we can hunt and all this kind of thing um you know both those trips you had numerous chances um i was there with you and you know you, you held your composure so well to you know you had one in mind that you're chasing and you got damn close too but tell us how that sort of plays out like how do you how do you go in there and you're on the other side of the world you know, I know you don't you don't pressure yourself at all, but you know how what sort of runs through your head? Yeah, uh, well, for me, I think everyone's everyone's different on what they want out of a hunt. Um, but for me, it's I don't know their challenge and adventure to try to get one of the better animals that I can on that hunt, or the you know one of the best trophies I can find. I think I find that that challenging and rewarding. Um, so 2011, and I suppose I got well, I got a good bull on the fourth day there, um, which sort of satisfied the elk. I wanted to get a bull elk, and and I did, and it was a you know a great six by six. So I was sort of content with that too, but still had the elk hunting bug. So um, that gave me a lot of patience. I think the following trips, yep. I knew I already had a decent bull. Yep. Um, yeah. So I just thought, well, you're never going to shoot a shoot a massive elk if you shoot the first one that walks in front of you. So yeah. I just held off and held off, and I thought, well, you know, you can shoot a big bull at the last five minutes of light. So you know, even on day eight, day nine, I thought, well, I've still still got a day left, you know, of a ten day hunt. So yep. just kept it in my pocket, and you know, it was always just hoping it'd come together, but. And I, I still had a great, you know, a great trip those two following years. I got to learn a lot about elk and their habits so just because I had so many close encounters on on other elk and the big elk, um, the big bull I was chasing, but just couldn't seal the deal. So, you know, I think you learn a lot more about them if you, you know, you just don't shoot that first one that comes in front of you. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, the big thing, and obviously being with you on those hunts and, you know, um, not that we hunted together too much, but the big thing I found with those those kind of hunts and, and you know, they'll private slash public land, but mostly private, um, you know, outfitted, was the amount of encounters and so the amount of elk knowledge we got so quickly. Um, give us a sort of rundown on the difference between that and, and you know, your idea of public land and... and you know, the, I guess the encounters that you, or well, you don't get, 
um, on the public land hunts. Yeah, well, I mean, we, well, myself and Robbie, figured that was the best way to to start. Um, just when we weren't, you know, if we could get onto some private country and actually just be hunting the elk rather than, you know, dodging the hunters and trying to figure out where the elk are at or moving, we just thought that was our best, our best chance to, you know, spend a lot of time looking at elk and hunting elk. But yep. Um, and you do like it, it. They are a lot more unpressured and they're still very smart and hard to shoot. Oh, they're, not, they're certainly not any easier. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, you, you just know you're not. You know, of a ten-day hunt in a public land unit, depending on where you're at, um, and it all varies, obviously. Yep. Um, you, you know how. If you're looking for them for seven or eight days and actually hunting them for three days, if you've got yourself in a position to hunt them yeah. for the three days and being bow hunters and that, we you need every opportunity you can get. So we sort of went that private land option for the first two times and yeah, a lot of interaction with elk and, and learned a lot. So yeah, so I don't, I've only got the New Mexico public land hunt to go by, which that was a, a pretty premium unit. So. Yeah. Um, I found I probably got onto elk most days there as well. Yep. So pretty lucky there and, and just had to, you know, get in the right position to get a shot at one of the better bulls that I'd seen in there. Yeah, for sure. The, um, you know, obviously the, the Montana stuff, you know, it's more or less a general tag. So um, anybody can really probably apply for the Montana stuff. And, and uh, once again, we got... Um, you know, I guess great contacts who are, who are great friends now. Um, you know, from through the elk hunting, so that's fantastic, and they run a really good outfit there. And um, yeah, you are. You, you, I think from like day dot, like your first morning, you, you're in elk. They're calling elk to you, and it's unreal. So for anyone like to um, that's going on their first first elk hunt, it's it's a good way to set yourself up. You're not going to bang around the mountains for for ten days and possibly see an elk. Um, it's, it is a big difference. So. Yeah, um, that's the thing, and there, there's a lot of, I think, outfitters that guide it on public land too in Montana, and we yep. thought, well, you know, I think you're better off if you're paying that money for a guide, um, you know, if you can go private private land and, you know, it, it fits within your budget, go go for it, but... Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I wouldn't second guess that at all, I'd do it yeah. again tomorrow, it's, yeah, uh, it's fantastic. Right. Um, so mate, obviously, you know, jumping to to this year um, I mean as far as hunts go I could talk to you for hours about your different stories but you know this year's was very very special um, and, and I know you sort of haven't jumped in it too much but you know elk for Ben are uh, everything <laughs> without going into it too much yeah. but you know we, we live and breathe talking about them especially when we've got a hunt coming up and you know honestly this afternoon while we're glassing new country we're talking about what we're doing for next year so um, this year you drew uh, premium unit um, I think we, we sort of came up with a bit of a strategy early in the year and, and it paid off for you um, you know when I say strategy that's a, a tag strategy of what we're going to draw and things like that um, you know, tell us a little bit how you felt when you when you found out you drew it mate yeah well um, I think this year's strategy we were actually uh, I was trying to I thought I was going to draw, draw a tag in Wyoming oh, that's actually right, yeah. yeah we did try that uh-huh, so that was our first I think the draws come out, um, when was it, 
February or March yeah, or something for, anyway, for Wyoming. Anyway, we found out we didn't draw that, so um, after talking to Craig and the guys from last year in New Mexico, we decided to try to draw a New Mexico tag. Um, anyway, that all that all come to plan. I got lucky. I think I drew, you know, one of a limited number of tags. I think six um, percent. I think it is to draw yeah, that 6% tag. Yeah, six percent or something. Yeah, Chance, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Ended up drawing that and found out um, in April when I was up the hill hunting fallow. So <laughs> pretty pretty pumped with that and just got home straight away and just the research started then and. I was trying to figure out who to go with and, you know, how to go about making the most of the tag. Yep, yep, definitely. And that was probably, I know for me, that was probably the most, the hardest stress, most stressful part is, you know, the logistics, who you're going with and all that. But, um, you know, obviously I I had experience in there last year, not the exact same unit, but next door. Um, I had good experience with, with the outfit that I use um, at Matter Borderland and you decided that was the way you wanted to go as well. Yeah, from what I'd heard of um, you guys or yourself and Brad and Jerry who were there filming you last year, Matt sounded like he'd, he was the man for the job. Um, you know, he's a, a trapper and he's in that area, you know, most days of the week I thought, throughout the year. So I thought, you know, he sounds like a real good down-to-earth sort of guy and probably, the, you know, as soon as we got over there and met him, I figured out we'd made the right decision and... Um, yeah, he knew that knew that country really well, so I put us yeah. straight onto the elk, which was a big benefit. Definitely, just um, you know, obviously because Matt played a big part in 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 the unit. Give um, just a bit of a rundown on, on what you can and can't do in the unit. Um, it is a little bit different to a lot of the country, but just sort of you know the logistics of the unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the unit we drew was just a hundred percent wilderness unit, and that so that only allows you permission to hike or use stock like horses in there so that's your only access in the unit um, so there's no ATVs and you know vehicles driving about there so it was sort of you know something that you know one of the main reasons why I put in for it because I didn't really want to have to deal with guys whizzing about on four wheelers and all yep. the rest of it so we could get away get away from you know a lot of people with some horses and pack into some, you know, limited hunting or, or you know, lighter hunted areas. Yep. And you're saying that, um, you know, in our chats that, like, you cross you cross some of the guys going in and, and they were sort of limited on how far they were going because they didn't have the horses. So that allowed you, that gave you a bit of an upper hand. Yeah, that's right. I I met, I think, two or three different guys in there over the, the seven days I was in there. Um one guy one guy had a mule um so he he was packed in a a little ways with the mule um but he was packing back out a fair way to get back to his camp every day as well um another guy I bumped into was on foot and he was at the sort of the limit of where he was going to be able to pack a bully out of and that was pretty much where we started hunting and went further and, and deeper into the unit from there so yep. you know water was a I think water was a pretty big issue for for people on foot. It was just a it had some big gorges there you could drop down to 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 get water. But you know if you were doing that every day, it obviously takes away from your time elk hunting and 
and all the rest of it. And it was a, you know, it might have been a thousand, thousand feet or more down to the bottom of the, well, probably more than that, thousand to two thousand feet down to the creek and back yep. up. So if you're doing that every day, it, yeah, you know, you, you can't waste a lot of time doing that so with the horses we could drop a camp in and and our water so we didn't have to muck around and just concentrating on hunting hunting elk yep and you're um so you you're pretty much like um same as brad like we're all we're all traveling together and um always had fun on the on the, on the road trips um dropped you off you more or less got straight into it the next day you um how did you horseback in the first yeah, day yeah the or? first day um first day that's right because we're waiting for brad to come from alaska brad smith um to come down and he was going to film jerry redmond's hunt yep so jerry decided to film me um you know but he wasn't he thought if he couldn't get it on film if brad wasn't there to film it he he wasn't going to hunt an elk for the first two days so that shows you how much those guys put into yeah they're passionate their film so he decided to come in with us for the first two days so the first day we rode in i think it was about an hour and a half or two hour ride hunted elk for the day and then rode back out um which made for a long day i think we're up about four four a.m and home at 9.30 or 10pm oh, big day yeah big day um, I come off the mule the mule the first day <laughs> I after shouldn't lunch. laugh at that it could have got real bad but I think that you know that went fairly well I was just an ex- inexperienced rider on my part I hadn't been on a horse for more than a minute in my life and probably probably not the best way to um, work out how to ride a horse or a mule that mule had your number mate oh yeah that, <laughs> you know I knew we were going to have problems when he was, um, you know, a few hours in and he was just taking me wherever he wanted to, so I think he was just waiting for the right time and the right place to, to knock me off, so, yeah. which he did. What did he do? He went under a branch or something? Yeah, yeah, he, he, um, he'd gotten off the trail and, and was just sitting there grabbing a little feed and then popped up and went to walk straight back up onto the trail and you know just it was under he was underneath the branch and it hit me square about the belly button and just dragged me <laughs> off the back of the saddle and pretty much landed flat on my back from you know five foot up on three big rocks i remember and oh. uh, but it worked yeah oh, you know it you got away with it you yeah, got away with it it could have ended out a lot ended up a lot worse than it did so yeah just knocked the wind out of me and bruised me i was a bit sore for a couple of days but and it was all good, a good learning experience. <laughs> I kept a close eye on the... Oh, I didn't get that mule again, actually. He got me a, a horse after that, so... Yep. <laughs> I think I think he figured out that I couldn't handle that bloody mule anymore <laughs> after that, so... <laughs> gave me his best horse, and I didn't have any more dramas, but I kept a close eye on it from there on in. That's gay, just watching your back. That's right. <laughs> so, mate, you, um, you obviously, you know, you, you went on a few days and... You had a few encounters and you, you were chasing a herd of elk around and um, what was the sort of lead up to you know to d-day yeah well yeah matt had put us in a good area and you know there was plenty of elk about we were hearing elk every day and bumping into elk so i knew we were in the right area and just had to stay stay at them and and um wait for wait for a good bull and the right opportunity to have a shot so i bumped into a 
lot of bulls over the first, oh gee, five, five, six days. Just, yeah, no, nothing that stood out. Yep. Um, you know, a few, well, if, you know, nothing that looked very old or mature that I'd seen and, and knew of the area held, so. Yeah, and you had an expectation in mind too, like you, you were looking for, you know, a particular bull as well. Like, That's right. Uh, like yeah. I was just looking for like a like an uh, one of the better bulls in the area. I suppose the best yep. way to put it. Um, usually get a bit of an intel on what's there the first three or four days, and you know if you see a see a massive bull on day two or three, you know when you see a big big anything you're hunting. So anyway, I had a few close encounters and was just trying to work them out where they were bedding, travelling to wind direction and all the rest of it and the best way to hunt it and the first few days and I oh, actually you know I didn't know if it was going to happen if I was going to get myself in the right position or not but just you just got to keep staying at it and hunting hunting hard every day and you know it can your luck can change in seconds so yeah and you weren't you weren't call were you calling much or you uh, just sort of following the herds or what were you sort of doing I called it a little bit, but not very often, and it was just a particular call. I we tried a cow call on the first day behind one of the herds, and you know you sort of know that you're going to call a lot of the satellite or the the little bulls that are running around the outside of the herd. You're going to call those in because usually the herd bull won't won't come out because he's you know he's got his cows and they're right in front of him. He's not going to leave them to chase some random cow out in the out in the timber making some noise. So Pretty usually, poor sounding one too sometimes. You, yeah, that's right. <laughs> usually you just get the, the satellite bulls coming in. But the only call I, I used a lot was just a locating bugle just to try to figure out where the elk were or yep. Give you a bit of heads up on get location. a response. Yeah, especially at like mid-morning when I was, you know, a few days I just hunted them in their beds a, a little bit. So I'd just get a location on them and then I would, you know, make my way around there and and then sort of try to pick a fight with them then. Yep. Sort of, and it, it made sense to me that if the cows are bedded down, the bull's, the bull's not going to want to run off um, and lead the cows away. You know, the cows won't want to get up. So I ended up picking a couple of fights with some bulls and calling them up, having some close encounters just during the middle of the day. But, you know, it, that was when things were quiet. But when when the elk were bugling and talking I pretty much just decided to just jog after the herd or keep yep. up with the herd and just wait for something to happen yeah what changed day seven day seven um well it I, I just heard them from, from daylight I, I probably walked a kilometer from camp and I picked up the sound of you know the herd it sounded like there was a a good few bulls in it which was probably the big herd that was working through there so it was still still dark or just before daylight so I just went off in that direction and just thought well I've just got to go hard every opportunity I've got the next four days and try to make something happen anyway after probably half an hour or probably an hour I ended up catching up with the herd on the meadow and um, you know, bulls bugling everywhere, cows running everywhere, it was just chaos. Um, ended up just, I could hear another bull cutting in towards me onto the herd, so I just knelt down there and and um, was just waiting for him to come past. 
he come past and figured out things weren't quite right so he sort of just trotted around me a little bit to catch up with the herd and continue on um, meanwhile they're just going crazy they just went over a small lip into a into another little head gully system sort of thing another little head of a meadow and I followed the bull over and I think well I actually sorry I should rewind that because I did see the big the bull that I ended up shooting I seen him with with cows he had a big mob of cows pushed up under some pine trees and my eyes lit up when I seen him and I'm like oh I'd like to get a shot at that bull and then I just held tight while I heard this other bull coming into the herd and seeing what would happen when he hit the herd and he ended up splitting in and I think he grabbed a couple of the cows or the, the big bull must have had the cows for the night so um, he'd done his duty yeah he just thought look I'm buggered I've been been chasing these cows all night I'm going to grab a quick bite to eat and that's it, what happened as I followed the herd over he he just went off to one side and, and just started feeding and then he was still bugling though and keeping an eye on the other bulls were probably 80 metres away from him the cows and he'd sort of keep an eye down there and, and kept bugling and having a bit of grass every now and then but as soon as another bull would bugle he'd just respond and he got himself in in a really good spot behind a fallen down limb that I could use for cover and, and, and just by himself which was great so as soon as he put his head down facing away I just scurried up behind the, the limb as quick as I could and quiet as I could and ended up getting a getting a range on him at 35 yards and he was quartering away and then I just had to let him open that angle up a little bit more just so I could stick the arrow in the back rib there and try to angle it into the offside shoulder and anyway he opened it up and got a draw and uh, yeah a good shot on him and seen him run down the, me the meadow and get the wobbly boot and tip over right there so it was part party time from there on him <laughs> I didn't know what to do he was in trouble the minute it hit him yeah no I thought I knew it was a good shot so yep now this bull it, you know it was obviously well it's a freaking giant let's just be honest um as I've already said on the podcast before but the photos do not do this thing justice um what was your feeling when you walked up to that thing yeah I knew like I obviously yeah, I knew it was a big bull before I shot him, but as I was getting close, I didn't realise the weight, how heavy the antlers were. And that's the first thing I noticed when I walked up to him on the ground, how thick the, ant the antlers were. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I still can't believe it, so, that they get that, that heavy in the antlers. So. I can't believe they get that big carry yeah, around. It's pretty, unbelievable. Yeah, it is actually heavy. Once, once we skull-capped him and could feel the antlers like uh, there's a lot of weight in those yeah. I'd, I'd only be guessing on a, on a weight but yeah just thick thick right the way up the beam yeah so you sent a couple of text messages i got one of them yeah um, that's right i sort of <laughs> jumped around like a you obviously settled your nerves and you know you, you're you're certainly pumped um give a bit of an idea of how hard or i'll say hard how much effort it is to get these things out like to to get them packed out. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they're a big animal. So, so we're going to take, well, all the edible meat, I suppose, or usable meat is is generally the the way they say it. So, um, what is it? Four quarters. Four quarters neck meat, and as as much as a rib meat as you can. 
the inside fillet as well as what we took. So yep. So you By the shot time him I at shot him at seven thirty yep. or around seven thirty in the morning. Um, then I probably gave I seen him fall over, so I only probably gave him fifteen twenty minutes there while I was messaging everyone or messaging Matt. To, I was trying to get Matt organised to to um, get the horses and try and you had, to come you had in You sat there. phone, didn't you? That's, that's right. That's how yeah, you right. He, had yep. the, he had one of the Delorme inreaches. Yeah, they're a good thing. Yeah, it was great, actually. So he could leave. And then as soon as I sent Matt a text, he could tell exactly where what part of the unit I was in. Yep. And it would show up on his map. So I thought, um, you know, that was the first first thing I'd done. I'd just text Matt, let him know that, you know, if you can, saddle up the horses and come in and so we can look after this meat. Yep. Um, so and then went down, t- took photos myself. Probably that probably took me about an hour to take the photos, just balancing on the backpack and trying to get as good a quality photo as I could. You know, while the bull was, you know, without taking too long, because the yep. bull was laying out in the sun and me just started getting, getting him broken down and cooled down, so we could look after the meat. Yep. So did that, and then just went to it, went to breaking him up and caping him, and that probably, I think that took me two hours. Okay, yeah, so um, you're looking at 9.30, 10 o'clock sort of thing? Yeah, by the time I got it, got him broken down was probably, and back under a shady tree, I just had it all hanging up, all just laying on a log there under a shady tree just to get some cool air around it to help it set. That was probably about 11 o'clock, I think, 11, okay. 11.30. And then just finished the face cape off there, and, yep. and, and while I was waiting on Matt, and then he came riding in with the horses, and we loaded it all up from there out. Yeah. What time did you get back to camp? Ah, uh, time we got back to camp that night, I think it was about 9:30. Holy dooly! So we loaded. He brought five horses in, loaded it, packed it away, tied it all off, and um, then rode back up to where we had camp set up, about to break it down pull everything off the horses again, restrap it. Uh, Matt ended up getting all that sorted and then just the, the trip back to the trailhead, which was probably an hour and a half ride to two hours ride back to the trailhead. Okay, yep. So then back to the trailhead, then take everything off the horses again, load it into the back of the pickup, load the horses up and um, I think it was an hour and a half drive back to camp or around an hour's drive back to camp from there. Yep, yep. Yep, so you had a spy camp and then you had base camp, is that right? That's right, yeah, yep. sorry, yeah, we had base camp where Brad Murphy and Jerry were, and yep. the outfitters, that's the, the base camp, which wasn't in my unit, and then to get to the unit I was hunting, we had to drive a, about an hour, hour and a half from there, and yep. then pack in with the horses the same amount of time to get to where we wanted to hunt sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, so that's sort of a rough breakdown of it. Camp would have been a pretty good atmosphere that night. Oh yeah, from then <laughs> on, like I mean, that was great. I think I was, you know, I was just waiting to, to, to show the boys and, yeah, yeah, I just topped it off. I think when you got someone else to share in the excitement with. Yeah, definitely. How long do you reckon it would have taken if you didn't have horses? And it was oh. just your, say it was you and Matt on foot. How long do you reckon it would take you to get that bull out? Gee. um... I'd think there'd be six, there'd be close to probably 
four loads or three loads each yep. at least. So and how many mile you're in? We're in roughly, I reckon I was probably close to oh, 10 kilometres, yep. 6 to 10 kilometres in I suppose. So if you're looking at it, even if it was three loads each, 10 kilometres in, 10 kilometres out, 10 in, 10 out, 10 in, 10 out, 60 kilometres I think, Yep. something like that. So you've got to really question and think about where you're going and how far you're going in if you're on foot, correct? That's right. You yeah. know, and you know, I, I don't know if you would have been able to do that without ruining some meat. Like. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know, for for everyone that knows, the meat's got to come out first. Yeah. Um, the the antlers and cake can't come out first. Um, you guys actually had the the, um, the game officer in camp. You know, That's he right. Well, he, was, office, wasn't he? he was camped just across the camp from base yep. camp. So you know, and he came over checking tags and make sure everyone was had the right tags and was doing everything properly so you know you can't yeah you can't really muck around with that stuff and just carry the antlers out and you know game officer pulls you up you're sort of you're in trouble probably never be allowed to go back to america again i think yeah for sure no and look you know i think people probably heard me hound on this a little bit but it's just it's something we really need to think about when we're heading over there um you know yeah like you can you can get in there Far, like you know, I could have went in that far on foot, or probably half that again. But it's just the knowing in the back of your head how yep. big these elk are and yep. how much work's involved. On you know, anyone can run in shootable. Yeah. But it's just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And there is consequences if we don't. And, That's right. You know, we're not we're not there. We're, we're there to to respect what they do, and you know that we get to donate the meat and all that kind of stuff, and it, it, it's pretty cool and. You know, when we can help families out and that kind of stuff, it, it, yeah. it means a lot more. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, it, yeah, to get the to get Matt with the horses was, you know, it just opened up so much more country that you could hunt without worrying about if you could get it out or, yep. all the rest of it, and even covering country just to scout for elk. I thought, you know, they're well worth the extra, you know, the extra effort to yep. take the horses in and just try to hike in there and do it off off your foot backpack yeah, and feet definitely you know? and these are the kind of things that we sort of you know this is what we sort of think about each year on on different units that we're looking to draw whether we're going to do it ourselves or you know if we draw a premium tag whether we get help and, and all this so this is just all the little things that yeah you'll probably hear us talk about a fair bit when we are talking about overseas stuff and um yeah that's right i summed it all up and i figured well you know l- legally we only had to book a an outfitter or a guide for two days. Yeah, and that was because um, we were a guided draw. We were in the guided draw, yeah, that's yep. right. But, you know, you, you weigh it all up and you think, okay, well, that's that's okay if you get onto elk and you don't have to move camp and all the rest of it. But if you, you know, if you have to move elk or you not move camp or you, you're not onto elk, the horses and and things were, you know, a great benefit for covering country. Yeah, they were gold. You know, I thought you're going to hunt ten times as much country on a horse, yep. yeah, or for sure. access to, to you know, ten times the amount of country. So it was sort of a no-brainer. Yeah, I definitely. Thought. And um, you obviously, you know, I, I came to pick you up a little while later, and um, you know, and and you got to have a look around in my unit, which was which was awesome. You know, um, comparing the two units, what was the main difference you could sort of see? Um, the two units, yeah, I suppose, well, mine was a wilderness unit, I suppose, so it just had, you know, less, 
less people winging about. We went over to your unit. It looked like it was like a rally rally track. There was <laughs> guys running around left, right, and centre on buggies and four wheelers and vehicles. It was just sort of, you know, people yeah, everywhere really, which was surprising because I thought, you know, being, you know, what we'd heard of such a premium unit, I yeah. thought it was, you know, limited on the amount of people hunting yeah. it, but that was, yeah, it was far a shock from the case. It was a shock it? for us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, the biggest thing I found, you know, when I picked you up and, you know, we got hunting, you know, without, you know, without getting into it, was the, the confidence that you, ex- you know, that you brought to my hunt in the last two days, um, you know, because, you know, just having someone to bounce the ideas off, that was the biggest thing that I found. You know, I'd been on my own for a few days and, you know, as I said, I've, I've mentioned it before, you know, I, I had the right plan, but putting it into place was what I struggled to make the decision with. And then when you came across, you're like, yep, that, that's where they are, let's do it. Um, what gave you that confidence? Is it is it experience or more the fact that you'd, you'd just been successful? You know, how does... It's probably a hard question to answer, but mm. you know, how does that sort of how's it play in your head when you just look at country? What makes you make that play? Um, I think it's just a bit of experience on knowing, knowing the animals, or just getting a bit of feel about, you know, how they move through the country or where they're going to be. And oh, I don't know. There's a thousand other things <laughs> that go into it yeah. too. But, but you uh, do it, it back home too. Yeah, like you do it for you I know your red deer, your fallow. You, you sort of just it's. I think it's a, nearly an instinct or just something just a natural you know it's nothing nothing something i try to do like literally think about too much i just read the sign we've got where people are hunting the lay of the country and try to you know put all the pieces of the puzzle together and yeah well you'd done done that before i'd got there you know you'd had them all worked out so it was a no brainer. You know, no brainer for me. I'm just like, yep, yep, let's just hit it. I think we can get up under that cliff that we had to go through and Yeah, it was a bit of hectic country. <laughs> yeah, and every, I didn't think too many people would bother trying to do that, so yep. we just um got the packs on and hit it. We thought yep. well, we got two of us, if we get an elk up there we can get it out. Yeah. And I suppose that gives you a lot more confidence too for yourself. Like yeah, you, for sure. No, it did. It was a it was a big difference. It's amazing just having that person with you to yeah, go, yeah, like let's do it. By yourself, get one way up there and yeah it would have been interesting yeah yeah and yeah it was good just having that other bloke there a bit more confidence and we boogied up there and (laughs) nearly nearly made it happen nearly nearly shot that ball it was in a hell of a spot had heaps of cows but it was just a real good afternoon real strong wind they were just getting up from their beds in some thick cover and just dropped over that little lip yeah. of that ridge. Oh, it's close. I, I could I see his top you, third. I thought he was in serious trouble when you popped oh, over. Oh, so there. did I. Oh, so did I. But, you know, they, you know, these things happen. And it was good to have someone with me when we walked back, you know. Yeah, not that's the, right. Not that we're too on uh, two crazy stories, but um, we we managed to find a mountain lion on the way back in the, in our torch lights. That was interesting. Yeah, we'd found, uh, you know, it was all a lot of rocky cliff country there and looked like good, you know, Good mountain lion country. Yeah, it's a little so good cat country. I think I said, I think I mentioned that like half down. hour before. I said, oh yeah, there's be a few mountain lions in here. And, <laughs> you know, probably 20 minutes, half hour later, two big blue eyes were poking their head <laughs> over a rock looking at us. And yeah, You held a few rocks at him, he just yeah, pounced on the rocks. Just tried to, yeah, he did, he chased a rock like a house cat would chase a ball of string yep. through it and he thought, you know chase that a little bit then the next one I didn't hit him with any of them but the next one got him a bit scared and he took yeah, off he took off a bit and I think he sort of watched us for a bit and then that's got, right yeah we just got I got us lost in the creek and then you know we managed to get back to the truck yeah <laughs> no, 
thought as we were walking around I didn't actually didn't put the ute in the GPS that first afternoon mm. which was probably a bit of a mistake but anyway Craig told me had it all in and when we were walking I knew when we we broke the ridge we were heading away from the moon and I thought oh yeah no, that's fair enough it's the right direction and um got down the bottom and I realised we're walking back up towards, towards the moon, the moon. Again. and I'm yeah. thinking mate we better just check that <laughs> check that out again anyway well I was thinking about mountain lions and I was thinking how disappointed I was because I didn't shoot the bull and oh no yeah, it's a lot a, going all a bit too on, much no it was all good I mean it was more of we just did a couple of circles in that creek we're so three, three creeks or three sort of little gullies I guess joined and yeah I, all joined and it was all down and, gullies, yeah it was pretty so. thick and it was I pitch mean, black I mean it was only yeah oh we're only we're only five okay from the car. Yeah, so that's right. Not far from the vehicle yeah. by then. So, well, mate, um, you know, epic trip. You know, we we celebrated when we got home. Uh, you know, when we got back to to our town, and um, you know, where do you go from here? You, what's planned for twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen. Um, at the moment, I'm thinking of trying to probably get over to NZ, try to chase a a bull tar or chamois about. That's yep. sort of another thing on the bucket list so i'd mm-hmm. like to probably do that in may so you know may june or something like that try to chase one of them about i'll do the rut here in march april um then probably go straight to the chamois or tar if i can fit it in and um, might try to either draw a tag in the states i mean the i've got a few points up for mule deer and a few points up in other states for elk so i'm yep. just sort of toying with the idea yep. but I'd say there'll be a trip in September to stateside be something at some point. Yep. And, um, yeah, just get over and try to work these tarred a little bit more and spend yeah. more time in that country and try to make it, um, you know, just learn a little bit more about it and hopefully I can shoot a good bull in the next next few years over there. Yeah, I think... Uh, when with, it all comes together. With your dedication, mates, you'll uh, you'll make that happen. So, And you you just been talking, you just about started on the, the fitness journey again too after having a bit of a yeah, break. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm the heaviest I've ever been there, so I need to really get into it, and um, especially for these serious mountain hunts like guitar and yep. chamois and things like that. It makes a big difference when you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hunt, hunt harder and you know, not a sore sort of thing, you know, every day then. Definitely. Well, mate, I can't thank you enough, and, um, you know, we, we uh, as always, mate, I appreciate all the help you, you give me throughout the throughout the year and putting up with my phone calls at all times of the night when I'm trying to work out what I'm going to do. So, um, mate, um, all the best for 2018, mate, and I'm sure we'll see a few uh, animals hit the deck from you. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me, and I hope um, everyone can understand or, you know, <laughs> put together what I'm trying to say. So. No, mate, done very, very well. So, um, yep, no, it was, uh, made the trip home pretty quick anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're here already, so <laughs> yeah. better, better get out. Better go and have some dinner. So, um, but thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ben McCulloch. Cheers, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that were discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.